This is going to be a special edition of Renew Gurus where we've talked to you, the candidate, about the issues you need to know about for the 2018 elections. Hello out there in political world. This is Renew Gurus. This is a very special edition of Renew Gurus because we're going to be talking directly about uh, some of the uh, some of the topics that we have in a white paper that we have sent to all the candidates in Missouri that are running for state rep and state senate. Uh, we want to be able to have this as an opportunity for you to get the highlights of each topic that's in all five of those. So this is going to be something that is you know really specific to this. We're also going to be making this available to the public. So when they if they were to want to read this because they I don't know have problem sleeping or anything like this and they want to put themselves to sleep, this will be perfect. Uh, just to kind of give everyone uh, an idea of who we are when I say Renew Missouri. I'm James Owen. I'm the executive director of Renew Missouri. We are a group. Uh, we're a 501c3 based out of Columbia that works on renewable energy and energy efficiency issues. Um, we have about six staff members up here. Uh, we do a lot of work in front of the Public Service Commission, but we also do a lot of work in the legislature. And when I say a lot of work, I mean not to exceed 20% in case the IRS is listening. <laughs> uh, that person you hear laughing is Emily Piatek. She is our research clerk. She has worked a lot on these white papers. Hi, Emily. Hi, James. She's going to be helping hi, us break. Oh, hi. Sorry. Sorry, I stepped over you. You were just saying hello okay. to everybody. Yeah. Okay. okay. She's going to be helping us break down this. Uh, also running the boards is Elizabeth Gower. Uh, she is our office coordinator. She keeps the ships running here at Renew Missouri, and she's also the producer of this fine podcast. Hello, Elizabeth. Hi, James. You're getting good at this. Hey, I know. Thanks. In case all of you haven't heard, we've been doing several of these, and we hope that if you find this useful, you'll keep listening, uh, even though I know you have a very limited amount of time because you're trying to run for office. So... Let's start by breaking down uh, what it is we're doing precisely. Okay, so Renew Missouri has taken on this campaign of something called candidate education. Uh, that's activity that 501c3s are allowed to do that lets us educate candidates running for office and, and, and talk about things that are important to us and why we think they're important to Missouri. And if you're getting this webinar or you've heard us, I guess this is not really a webinar, this is a podcast, but we're kind of treating this like a webinar. We've sent you five papers uh, on different topics, and those topics involve purchase power agreements, net metering, distributive energy resources, poverty and energy efficiency, as well as low-income community solar. I think I got all those. So those are the five things that we've looked at. And so basically what we want to do here is we're going to have two 25-minute spots where we're going to talk about all five of those. Not in, not in like the whole 25 minutes each. We're going to be talking about a few of those in each one. Uh, like this one, we're going to be talking about poverty and energy efficiency, distributive energy resources, and community solar. Who so, all needs a dictionary right now? Well, we're getting to that. <laughs> Because that's what we're going to try to explain, what this stuff is and why it matters. Okay. So, Emily, we talked a little bit about community solar. Now, I think it's important to know that when you're in the legislature and you are a state rep or state senator, you have the ability to vote on utility issues, energy policy issues. And one of the big things you get to do is give direction to places like the Public Service Commission, which regulates utilities in the state of Missouri. That's right. 
Oh, good. I just wanted, <laughs> I wanted to make sure yeah. that you were you were paying attention. Yeah, I'm on board. Okay, so Community Solar, uh, you studied this a little bit. Can you tell us what Community Solar uh, is, what that means? Yeah, so Community Solar is um, a type of program where um, res residents um, will sign up for electricity from their uh, local utility company, and it comes from a solar farm. So it's not it's an off-site solar array, basically, I right. guess is a better way to describe it. Um, so you sign up for a certain amount of electricity um, on an annual basis, or whatever the terms of your subscription are, and then you pay into the community solar farm for the... Um, or at a cost that's proportionate to the amount of energy that you subscribe for. Um, so it's different from net metering because you don't have solar panels on your rooftop or at your house, and you don't have to monitor the farm or pay for installation or things like that. Right. So I want to make sure I completely understand this. Instead of having rooftop solar, where you have solar panels on your house, you can buy that solar directly from your utility company. That's right. Um, so they'll have off-site arrays. Um, somewhere within, um, you know, the city limits or right. nearby, and you just subscribe to that solar. So I mean, but is it really is it really a way for the utility companies where you like they literally make that solar power and it comes directly to your house? I'm not sure what you mean. Oh well, I mean, okay. So like you say, I want to buy solar power from the utility right. companies, but I mean, ultimately, isn't that that they produce power and you get power, but they're just making enough power from the solar field? the solar array to offset how much you're spending. It's the path of least resistance. James, Wait. is that what you were getting at? Yes, yeah. that is okay. what I'm Thank getting you. at. Yeah, because I mean, well, I just want to make sure it's clear that like they are still going to, I mean, they're, they're not going to have a special line running to your house. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. I didn't Did know I that. ask that question badly? Okay. <laughs> I didn't understand it. But it was got... a little confusing, I'm but sorry. for the experts in the room. Okay. Well, we're talking to people who are wanting to learn about this, so I want to make sure that they understand the basics of this. We're good? Yeah, we're good. Okay. <laughs> okay, so, I mean, would this be beneficial, like, say, if you didn't own your house or you lived in an apartment? Yeah, that's where community solar um, can play a big part in um, helping um, people use green energy um, yeah. on their own. You, know, you don't have to own your house. You don't have to pay for the solar arrays themselves. Um, you don't have to have a lot of capital at hand to get involved. So yeah. it's really good for low-income um, people and also for renters. Yeah. Too. It okay. gives you that warm and fuzzy feeling on the inside that you're doing something good for the environment because I know that's a problem most people who do not own their homes and renters uh, tend to feel. Yeah. yeah. So, okay, so when you're talking about folks who are living in apartments or rent their houses, I mean, these aren't necessarily people who have a lot of money, right? Right. Okay, so I understand that Ameren, Missouri, which, by the way, for those of you out there who need to understand what the Public Service Commission does – it regulates privately owned utility companies like Ameren, Missouri, Kansas City Power and Light, and Empire Electric based out of Joplin. If you live in the city of Springfield or the city of Columbia or Independence or Kirkwood, those are municipal utilities. And if you live in rural areas, that's oftentimes a rural electric cooperative. We're really just talking about what the Public Service Commission um, has, what the legislature has authority over the Public Service Commission, and that deals with private utility companies, right. which Ameren has just got approval, and we're saying this in September of 2018, by the way, they just got approval from the Public Service Commission to do a solar subscriber program. It's not very big. Uh, we anticipate that it's going to probably get used up pretty fast, but they're building a solar farm out there by Lambert Airport. Uh, they had to spend a little bit of money to make sure there was no 
sheen off the solar panels so pilots didn't start crashing their planes. That's really true because they, they do have, you know, they reflect a little bit. <laughs> I think it's going to be a one megawatt array, is it not? Well, yes, Elizabeth Gower, that's correct. Um, and But that's still, like, when you think about megawatts, I mean, that's only, like, going to be, you know, 10,000, 12,000 homes, maybe less. So if you subscribe and we fill up the entire one megawatt, there's a chance they could build more. So. That's our hope. So we're, I mean, so Renew Missouri is going to be working on that, but... We do believe that there are ways that we should be encouraging that. But I guess the ultimate question is, if you're low income or middle class, I mean, right now, there's always a premium on those. I mean, so is there any way to look at that and say, like, oh, well, if you are low income or you're living paycheck to paycheck, is there a way to make this affordable for you? Yeah. Um, and that's where community solar has the big advantage because yeah. you don't have to, um, you know, put any money down up front. You just sign a contract with the utility company um, for the amount of energy that you would like to subscribe to. Um, it varies, um, you know, based on the size of your house or your residence or, you know, how much money you have to buy into the program. And, yeah, that's how you can get your green energy. And aren't there some programs out there, if you're talking about a, you know, it's usually in a larger city or where there's more concentration that you can do community solar. And people can actually, like, instead of paying extra for it, they can actually work on the solar panels, they can work on the solar arrays, and they yeah. can do what's called sweat equity and get that money back from that? Yeah, there are models like that out oh, there, okay. and those um, have the added advantage of um, providing a skill set um, and training to a group of people who can then go out and work in the solar industry and also reap the benefits of participation in the community solar um, so farm itself. would it be safe to say that there is a workforce development component to community solar? It would, yes. Oh, see? So this isn't just that warm, fuzzy feeling that Elizabeth mentioned. This is something that I can actually like help train people in what is, in a lot of polls, the fastest-growing uh, job in the country, which is being a solar technician. Yeah. And they are good-paying jobs. You get green on both ends. Green energy, green oh, into the economy. That sounds like a very, that sounds like something you could use on the doorstep or, or put something in a press release. That would be very helpful for a candidate. Green on both ends. Or a bumper sticker. Or a bumper sticker. Eh, you know, sometimes those are not worth the money you put door in. Door signs. Or door signs. I mean, if you if you actually have people out there who really care about this. And look, we know uh, that, you know, a lot of people are going to be talking about the budget. They're going to be talking about social issues. They're going to be talking about crime. That's what a lot of people are talking about. But I'll tell you one thing as a candidate you could always talk to people about is their electricity bill. Because no one likes paying that. And they don't know everyone what. Everyone has one. <laughs> and everyone has one. That's right. And that's the thing, like, even with taxes, there's a lot of people out there who don't pay taxes, especially low-income individuals. But everyone pays a utility bill. And so if you can find a way to like help bring that cost down or empower a neighborhood or empower a person to learn a skill set, well, that's a really big deal. And if you reduce their utility bill, that money they save is going to be going to things like food, school supplies, medications, which stimulates the economy. That's, that's right. So I think the main takeaway from Community Solar is that um, – you have this uh, combination of environmental benefit with economic benefit yeah. as well. That trickles down to low-income people um, in particular. It's almost like that's the whole message we're trying to get across with energy policy, right? That's right. Yeah, which is a good segue into another topic that we want to discuss on this part of the program and talking about, um, as Elizabeth was talking about, and more succinctly, about a household 
for a business's energy burden. Okay, so Elizabeth said, you know, you're at home, you have a family, you have maybe rent you pay or a mortgage you pay, you have to pay groceries, you have to pay school supplies, but then on top of that, you've also got to pay your utility bill. Now, Emily, there's been some research done on this recently about energy burden. Are you familiar with that? I am. So, <laughs> there's a podcast on that. I know we did do a podcast on that. We'll uh, we'll make sure if you're interested in it, we'll uh, send you the link. Candidates out there, if you want to learn more about this, but uh, the uh, American Council for Energy Efficiency Economy, the ACEEE, uh, they did uh, a study on uh, nationwide energy burden. And what did they find about uh, Missourians and those who live under the uh, poverty level there, Emily? Well, they found that Missourians, and particularly rural Missourians, face higher energy burdens than people in some other uh, parts of the country. So an, an energy burden is um, the percentage of your income that you spend on energy bills. So in Missouri, it can be anywhere um, from 4% to over 14% right. um, of your income spent yearly. On electricity. And, and I mean, now ultimately, um, you know, I mean, you're not, I mean, so that's also like, you're talking about your energy burden. You're also talking about the fact that these people aren't making a lot of money. Like if they, if they're able to work or they do work, I mean, like, I mean, we're still, we had to factor that in, correct? Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're talking about people like veterans, children. I mean, there's a lot of groups that are disproportionately affected by their high utility bills. That's right. That's right. And I think it's also important because, you know, we're not just talking about, I think a lot of people see poverty issues as something that only affects cities, Kansas City and St. Louis. But really, I mean, you talk about poor areas of the state. We're talking about places in rural Missouri. I mean, I'm from a rural part of the state. Uh, we have a lot of poverty there. It's in southwest Missouri. Uh, I know there are counties and rural parts of the, of the state like Oh, you know, um, Ripley County and Oregon County mm -hmm. come to mind on the Arkansas border. They are enormously poor. Well, and Missouri faces a higher, as it, as it faces a higher energy burden, um, our citizens also um, are more likely to uh, live in poverty or to live under the federal poverty lines. Well, um, what are, I mean, like if we were talking about, like, what are the numbers uh, of people in Missouri who are, are, are living in poverty? So 14% of the Missouri population lives in poverty. Um, and 19.2% of those people are children. So that's a really high percentage of uh, Missourians and children living in poverty. Um, comes out to total numbers of about 825,000 people wow. in our state who are living under the federal guidelines for poverty. And the poverty levels, for those who don't know, are pretty low. I think the federal poverty guidelines are for a family of one or two, $25,000 or less. So, yeah. So for an individual, if you're making um, right about $12,000 per year, you're going to be under the federal poverty line. Um, and then if you're a family of four, it's going to be $25,000. So that's not a lot of money um, to make annually and then to spend, you know, anywhere from four to 14% of your income on energy. You know, that's a big burden. Yeah. So, I mean, so we're not talking about, like, when we talk about this energy burden, we're not advocating here for saying we should pay uh, people who have low income their utility bills. We're not advocating for that, are we? No, that wouldn't be sustainable in yeah. the long term. Yeah, so I mean, so like when we talk about this issue, I mean, one of the things that I think is important that our group does is we try to look at uh, poverty issues, we try to look at housing issues from the, from the perspective of energy efficiency. 
And I mean, basically, when we talk about energy efficiency, we're not talking about conservation of energy. I mean, what, in a nutshell, Emily, okay. is energy efficiency? Yeah. Well, so first, I'll, people do confuse energy conservation and energy efficiency. They do. Energy conservation is sort of reducing, uh, changing your lifestyle habits and reducing the amount of energy you use by, say, you know, walking or biking to work instead of driving your car. So you're reducing your energy. Uh, usage there. Um, but energy efficiency relates to how you use your energy. So are you, um, like in your home, do you have well-sealed windows? Are you, um, you know, is it well-insulated? Are you using the energy, or yeah, using the energy you need in a way that um, just requires you to use less overall? So it doesn't require a lifestyle change, it just requires, um, you know, like LED lighting, insulated walls, insulated windows, things right. like that. Yeah. So, I mean, we're really talking about, you know, appliances, the construction of your house, improving the, improving the condition of your house or your apartment. That's what we're talking about when we yeah. say energy efficiency. Yeah. Right. So, and already, um, one thing that's important to know if you're in the legislature or you're running to be in the legislature is that um, Missouri already has a, a good uh, statutory uh, outline for like how utility companies can benefit from this. It's called the Missouri Energy Efficiency Investment Act, or MIA. <laughs> oh, Mama Mia. Yeah, so that's, a, that's the way you can remember that. But basically, what that means is if you are an investor on utility, and really right now the only two that we have participating in that is Amron, Missouri, and Kansas City Power and Light, uh, you are able to file something in front of the Public Service Commission uh, that outlines your energy efficiency programs, and you are able to... Uh, basically ask for a rate of return on that. So instead of like, say, building a coal plant, you're basically saying, well, look, Public Service Commission, we're going to be enacting this energy efficiency work. We're going to be selling less electricity, but we want to be able to compensate ourselves for the fact that we're not selling as much electricity. Because that kind of gives uh, utility companies a perverse incentive not to be energy efficient because they're actually selling less of their product. But MIA avoids that pitfall. And that sort of forces um, utility companies to think about energy efficiency as a demand-side resource, right? That's exactly right. Good so, work. if <laughs> you are low-income and living at the poverty level, what kind of programs exist for these individuals to take advantage of improving the quality of their home? Very good question. Yes, thank you, Elizabeth. We do have <laughs> a couple of programs that people can look into, and one of those is um, the Weatherization Assistance Program. Yeah. Um, and those are often administered by um, community action agencies across mm -hmm. the state. Right. And you can apply and receive funding to upgrade the efficiency of your home. Um, in the you know if you do it in the fall, you can get usually or you get put on a waiting list, and then hopefully they'll upgrade your home so it'll be more energy efficient and you'll use less energy. And have lower energy bills through the winter, and then the same for the summer. Um, and then we also have um, Lyheap. Lyheap. Do you want yeah. to take a stab at that one? Oh yes, that is low income heating and energy assistance okay. program. Uh, basically, what that is, you know, it's my opinion, and don't hold me to this. I'm not someone who does poverty advocacy and housing advocacy for a living, but that's basically that is a form of a subsidy that goes to paying increased uh, heating and gas costs. Uh, during winter months, um, it's it's our belief that weatherization is better because that's ultimately solving the underlying problem. You're fixing up apartments, you're fixing up buildings, you're fixing up houses, so you're avoiding that instead of just throwing money at the problem. It's important because what we found is weatherization 
requires more time. It requires more effort. I mean, certainly uh, one of the things that we could recommend to the legislature is by making weatherization more pronounced in the in the MIA uh, program. I mean, it was it was just a year, and it was just a little over a year ago, 2017, that New Missouri pushed for an amendment to MIA that actually allowed low income. Uh, housing uh, customers to be a part of MIA. Um, and that was actually something that in, ended up helping about 55,000 to 60,000 uh, Missourians uh, take advantage of this. But that was like a problem with the original law. And, and thankfully that got signed by the governor uh, back in the summer of 2017. So uh, we would like to see that more pronounced in yeah, there. Yeah, definitely. Um, also, the weatherization assistance program usually has a wait list. So it's not the only avenue that should be available to people who are looking to reduce their energy burdens. Right. And that's why YHEAP is important because there are probably people who are on the wait list that will experience very high utility bills and they will end up in those crisis situations. Mm -hmm. And that is where the community action agencies can step in and use some YHEAP funding to help them pay those high utility bills until those weatherization efforts can be made in their home. Good context. That's very helpful. Yeah, so I mean, there are things, and I mean, in, in community solar absolutely does fit into this as well as, as far as dealing with uh, energy issues, efficiency issues, and low-income housing and dealing with poverty. That's important, so that ties into what we were talking about just a minute ago. I think it's also um, important to think that there are create or to know that there are creative ways to use community solar to address energy burdens yeah. as well. To go back to that previous paper, yeah. so um, I know that some farms across the country, solar farms, um, have introduced a sliding scale for participation. So mm -hmm. based on your level of income, you can participate in community solar, and um, you know if you do receive a subsidized rate, that's subsidized by the participation of people who have a higher income level. So that's another um, thing to think about. Um, right. Can be creative with in terms of reducing energy burdens. And there are things that we're advocating for in front of the Public Service Commission, as well as with cooperatives, as well as municipalities, to allow them to uh, uh, allow people to get uh, financing through their energy bill uh, to do these improvements, to put solar on their properties. Uh, that's called pay as you save or pays. But we're working on that the Public Service Commission. That's not necessarily going to be a legislative fix. Um, but that's something so you know it's out there. But it's out there. And it's something that is really important and can help not only uh, low-income uh, customers, but gonna it can be have a positive impact on all customers. We'll also send out some resources on the PAYS program from the people who created it in case you're interested in learning a little more about that program. There you go. Uh, well, I think that... Uh, that sounds good. Um, are there any other thoughts that you have about what we should be dealing with as far as dealing with poverty uh, and energy efficiency there, Emily? I think that about recaps it, but I, again, just want to point to the, um, or, you know, reiterate the point we made earlier, which was that there's often environmental benefits and economic benefits go hand in hand. And if we can use energy efficiency to lift people, uh, to assist in lifting people out of poverty, we're going to see reduced um, need for government assistance in other sectors as well. So it's just one piece of the poverty puzzle, mm -hmm. but it's a really big and important piece um, that has health implications and um, economic implications as well. So if you're saying that we can cut down on government subsidies, that could actually be a budgetary benefit if we were to focus yeah. more on yeah, these energy efficiency issues? Oh, so that'd be a nice conservative approach to that sort of thing, wouldn't it? There we go. Hey. Yeah, yeah. So just to recap... Just to recap what we've been talking about, I mean, you know, as far as community solar, 
How uh, can lawmakers uh, make community solar a priority? Well, you can introduce community solar uh, gardens that are going to be more focused to low income, um, uh, more uh, low income areas. Uh, that's something that's been introduced in the legislature the past couple of years. We've got a lot of information on that. We would like to see that introduced not only as a renewable energy uh, policy, but also one that's good for low income neighborhoods as well as workforce development. That's important. Uh, also making community solar something that is deemed prudent. Uh, so the Public Service Commission does not have to make that ruling uh, when a utility company would bring it to the Public Service Commission because right now the Public Service Commission has to determine what's prudent and what isn't before they allow it to be put as part of rate. So you can do that in legislation. Um, and also making uh, MIA, uh, you know, making fixes to that that help encourage weatherization and low income um, energy efficiency uh, programs. I mean, right now they have those. Ameren, right now before the Public Service Commission, has a very aggressive uh, energy efficiency program involving low-income housing. We're working with them on that to support that. We applaud them for that. Uh, they are being faced down by regulators opposed to that, so we're trying to deal with that, just so you know what your regulators are doing. <laughs> and so those are things that, as a lawmaker, those are simple things uh, that uh, do have a lot of benefit to a lot of areas, and I think that could be something that's really good. So, yeah. yeah. If you have any questions, feel free to get a hold of us at info at renewmo.org. Visit our website. Call us at 573-303-0394 and ask us any questions you may have. Hey, give us that uh, email, uh, that not that email, but that uh, website address there, Elizabeth. It is renewmo.org. Very good. Well, I'd like to thank all of you for joining us for part one of our uh, candidate education um, series here. Emily, you've been a pleasure, as always. Thank you for all the hard work you've done here. And uh, take a break. If uh, you are uh, only got one car ride that only lasts about 25 minutes, you can take this up on the ride back, and we'll see you in part two.